0: Thanks so much for being here this morning. Later on, and I always hate to stop conversations, but uh, when we're all done today, Kelly Klaus is actually going to come up front at, the no, not right now, but after the very last song and let us know where she'll be traveling to in just a few days. Uh, let's pray together uh, and then uh, we'll open up to Nehemiah chapter 6. Father, thank you so much that, that as your people we can gather together in the name of your son Jesus, and we can sing your praises, and we can remember what our Savior did for us on the cross, and, and now we can bring our requests to you together. And we know we can pray at any given time when something comes into our mind and, and is on our hearts, and, and that before we even ask, you know You know what we need and you tell us you're good and you're wise. And so thank you so much that this morning as we bring these requests to you, we're praying together. And we would ask, Father, that you would give your strength to Keith Cargan and Bill Nixon who are just not feeling well right now uh, with uh, pneumonia and COVID. Uh, Give them your strength. We thank you that Sarah Lillis' dad came through this procedure but we'd ask that you'd watch over her family as this hurricane continues to hit the Nova Scotia area. Father, we would pray for Kelly and for others who go out to share the good news of your son uh, in different places around this globe. And we'd ask that you would give them your freedom and your liberty and your Holy Spirit to give the message of the gospel to people. Thank you so much that we can open up your word. And I pray this morning uh, that you would take these words of Nehemiah chapter 6 and take them off these pages and put them right in our hearts. And I'd ask this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. We are just about halfway through the book of Nehemiah. And. Uh, So far, you've seen this guy is an incredibly good leader, and you're going to see that again this morning and how he deals with some more opposition that's thrown his way. Uh, I entitled this, Slow Down Tricks and Dirty Lies, and I think you're going to see why as we read through Nehemiah chapter 6, at least the first 14 verses this morning. Uh, As I thought about what happened to Nehemiah uh, 500 years before Jesus was born, I thought, wow, the world hasn't changed very much. Uh, you know, the, there are still people in uh, our culture, our, our civilization, that um, will play low-down, dirty tricks on us. Now, a few weeks ago, I had mentioned these guys are mockers and scoffers, and, and, and you'll see that, sandball and Tobiah. <laughs> but I also said, you know, there, there's, there's a difference between making fun of someone to hurt them and, and good-natured teasing And and we all go through some good-natured teasing. And so I want to make this clear. There's also opportunities at times when people will do good-natured tricks, play them on us. April Fool's Day is a typical time that our family would do different things. But I I recall Sue's mom, sweetest lady you will ever want to meet. Sue would tell me the story how she had this ice cream carton and offered the last scoop of ice cream to her son, John, when he was a teenager, who loved vanilla ice cream. Said, yeah, 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 I'll take it. So she pulls out the scoop, puts it in his mouth, and it's sour cream. (laughs) And John hated sour cream. Now that's an example of kind of a a good natured trick. That's not what we're gonna see today. You know, a, a low down dirty trick is generally hatched to hurt someone. Make them look foolish. Uh, damage their reputation. Take something away from them that's theirs. And, and we might think very quickly of the scams that come through emails or phone calls. But uh, but a low down dirty trick is really a purposeful lie in action and, and it's meant to do harm and, and it doesn't just happen with phone scammers. It, it happens in politics. Uh, it happens in the business world. It occurs in sports and, and uh, in the halls of the school. It, it dates all the way back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, the Bible is uh, full of dirty tricks and lies by some who should have known better. And when I say that, I'm thinking about Jacob, in the Old Testament and what he did with his father Isaac and his brother Esau. And so the question is, and I think it's a very, very relevant one, how do we as Christians navigate our way through a world that's filled with low, down, dirty tricks and lies? How do we manage our way through it? How do we keep from falling in that same cesspool? And as I read through Nehemiah 6, I think that there's an answer here. And I think there's a very good example in the person of Nehemiah on how to respond to dirty tricks when we're the target. And so if you haven't already, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to start with the first four verses. So let's put them on the screen, and here they are. Now, when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it, although at that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, then Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, come, let us meet together at Cherpaharim, the plain of Ono. But they were planning to harm me, so I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? They sent messages to me four times in this manner and I would answered them in the same way. So you can see what's going on. Now, let's just back up for a moment. These names are nothing new in the book of Nehemiah. If we went back to chapter 2, when Nehemiah first shows up in the land of Judah, to carry out this plan of his to rebuild the wall and the gates of the city of Jerusalem that that the Babylonian army had knocked down several years earlier. The the non-Jewish residents of uh, the land of Israel who had been in power for 70 years were smoked. They were ticked. They didn't like it one bit. And and the leaders of the pack are Sanballat and Tobiah. And you can read about them in chapter 2. Now, as, this, as the construction work begins, uh, so does the insults. They start to fly. And, uh, and Nehemiah doesn't return evil for evil. Uh, he prays and he asks God, God, please deal with these people. But as their mockery really turns into threats of violence, and it doesn't, and you can see this in chapter 4, Nehemiah is resolute. He's not going to back down to these guys. And he and the builders, those who are building the wall, they're going to pray even more. And they're going to trust in the promises of God to be with his people. And they're going to prepare to defend themselves with the necessary force. And that seems to silence these guys, the critics, the opposers. But now that the wall is almost finished, and that's what we read here, the wall's finished, but the gates aren't quite done. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem are back at it again. And, and they're, they're out to put a stop to the construction work. But, but instead of plotting to attack the wall builders, they just go after Nehemiah. And what you can see here is they're trying to lure him out of Jerusalem. Uh, and remember, that's kind of a safe place for Nehemiah because when he traveled over from the kingdom in the Persian Empire, he had an escort with him. Uh, an armed military escort. Now, Nehemiah, you can see here, he's, he is not a dummy. He, he doesn't trust these guys. He knows they're up to no good, and he states it in verse 2, and you can see that up here. He says, they're planning to harm me. Uh, you know, we trust those who we know seek our good. And we don't trust those who either make fun of us, threaten us, or get in the way of some good work that we're about. Now, I have two older brothers, Ray and Phil. Love them. Phil passed away several years ago. Good brothers, but I'm 12 years younger than my brother Ray, 10 years younger than my brother Phil. And so I'm sure I got on their nerves at times, but in all fairness, they would pick on me. So, I remember they got very upset with me when, as a four-year-old, I wouldn't jump into the deep end of the pool when they asked me to let them teach me how to swim. (laughs) Now, here's what I recall, and, and I do recall this rather vividly. These were the same brothers who would wake me up at night and scare me with a clown mask. Seriously, they did. Talk to my sister Mary, she'll she'll confirm this, I'm not making this up. They were the same ones who would use wrestling moves on me, pin me to the floor, and and if you've done this to other people, shame on you, but they would let spit drool down from their mouth, and then at the very last minute, suck it up before it hit me in the face. (laughs) Occasionally, they weren't quick enough. And so now they're asking me, hey, why don't you jump in the deep end of the pool and we'll teach you how to swim, and it's like, no, no. No, I'm not going to, and, and they get upset with me because I won't trust them. You know, it just reminds me of that old saying, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Uh, my self-preservation radar was beeping at that moment, and you know what? Nehemiah is the same way here. His radar is beeping. These guys are up to no good. They just mean to do me harm. He understands that. He understands we're setting a trap, and you can see what he writes back. I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And I'll tell you what, his answer is just spot on because I'm telling you, he's following the advice that King Solomon gives in Proverbs 26. And if you want to turn there, you're welcome to. I'm not going to put it on the screen. But if you were to turn to Proverbs 26 and read verses 4 and 5, here's what it says. Don't answer a fool according to his folly, or you'll be just like him. Answer a fool as his folly deserves, that he may not be wise in his own eyes. You know, Nehemiah gets it. He says, I'm doing this great work, this work that God has called me to do to rebuild the walls and put in the gates of Jerusalem because I think Nehemiah probably does understand one day, according to the book of Daniel, Messiah is going to come and those walls need to be rebuilt to welcome him. But he says, I'm doing this great work. I don't have time for those who are trying to stop it and put an end to it. So, there's his answer. Now, Before we read any further, I'm going to forewarn you, what I'm going to say is going to sound a bit harsh. But Jesus isn't kidding around when he tells his followers, don't cast your pearls before pigs. If you do, they're going to trample them, and once they trample them, they're going to turn and come after you. And that's what Jesus says, and you can read that in Matthew chapter 7. You know, as his followers, we better know how to handle the scoffers and not get embroiled in arguments and debates with them that go nowhere. And unfortunately, at times, I've seen Christians do this. You know, there are times when we have to walk away from meeting or reasoning with those who are just out and out belligerent and stand opposed to God's work with this intent of undermining it. You know, again, the example isn't just Nehemiah. The example is our Lord and Savior. Think about it. The Pharisees approach Jesus and they tell him this. They tell him, hey, Herod is out to kill you. And Jesus' response is this. You go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I reach my goal. I don't have time for him right now. I'm up to something that God wants me to do. And so here's the lesson. You know, we better know how to handle the sandballots, or even the Herods of this world. We, We better know how to answer those who are just out to make trouble, and some people are. You know, staying focused on the good works that God has prepared for us in Christ gives us a very, very practical template of who and what to include in our planners. Staying focused on the good works like Nehemiah says I'm doing, why should the work stop while I leave it to come down to you? Sometimes that has to be our answer. Okay, so when this attempt to get Nehemiah alone and pounce on him uh, doesn't work, uh, Sanballat takes it up a notch, and, uh, and makes up a big fat lie uh, to get him into trouble. So here's what comes next in Nehemiah 6. Okay, when I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Daliah, the son of, of Mahatabal, who was confined at home, he said, Sorry, you went too far. I went too far. Let's go back. There we go. Then Sanballat sent a servant to me in the same manner a fifth time. So there's been four messages. Here comes the fifth one. With an open letter in his hand, in it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Gashmu says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you're rebuilding the wall, and you're to be their king according to these reports. You've also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you, a king is in Judah. And now it will be reported to the king, the Persian king, Artaxerxes, according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. Come on, let's meet. Then I sent a message to him saying, Such things as you're saying have not been done, but you're inventing them in your own mind. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God... Strengthen my hands. So there it is. The fifth message that uh, these guys send Nehemiah's way has this letter. And, and, and this letter uh, tells, them, tells Nehemiah why they want to meet with him. Here's, here's what's being circulated. Here's what we're going to send off to King Artaxerxes. And, and you know what? When you read this, uh, there's no two ways about it. At this point in his life, Sanballat is a sleazeball. He's making this stuff up. I know that's not a complimentary term, but that's who he is. Nehemiah writes back and tells him, you're just making up stories. You're inventing things. It's not going to fly. Now, that should sound familiar to us. You know, over the last five to six years, this term has popped up in our vocabulary. And uh, the term has to do with the purposeful spreading of fabricated information presented as fact. Now, do you know what term I'm talking about? Fake news. People use it all the time. doesn't matter if you're conservative or if you're liberal. It's fake news. So, Merriam-Webster, Mer- Merriam-Webster decides we're not even going to put this in the dictionary. And, and what they said is fake news is quite simply news that is faked. <laughs> That's it but they do have a word in their dictionary that we should pay attention to. And that word is disinformation. And disinformation means false information deliberately and often covertly spread as by the planting of rumors in order to influence public opinion or obscure truth. Disinformation. That's what's going on here. These guys want to spread this fake news, this disinformation about Nehemiah. Now I told you that term has popped up, but it's interesting because there are studies taken of how fast disinformation can go out through social media. And uh, most of us are familiar with uh, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. But there's a school of management that goes with MIT, the Sloan School of Management, And it tells us this. By their research, falsehoods are 70% more likely to be retweeted on Twitter than the truth. And reach their first 1,500 people six times faster, especially with political news. Now again, do you understand what they're saying here? They're saying, hey, you want to tell lies, it's going to go out a whole lot faster than telling the truth. Again, those of us who know the scripture understand that. You know, if you want to check the uh, fact check, the credibility uh, of news or, or online stories that your friends will email you, you know, you can go to places like Snopes. And, and most of us have been there. Snopes describes themselves as the internet's go-to source for discerning what's true and what's total nonsense. Uh, there's there's other places you can go to. You can go to uh, politifact.com, which reports on And I'm quoting this, the accuracy of statements made by elected officials, candidates, their staffs, lobbyists, interest groups, and others involved in U.S. politics. And so what they do is their statements receive either a thumbs up on the truth or the qualification that says pants on fire. (laughs) That's how they do it. I tend to watch uh, the local news station KCRG, and I know they come out with these i 9 Uh, fact-checks all the time on political candidates, and the reason is simply this. People print lies about others. It's taken place in Nehemiah chapter 6 right here. Nehemiah is not setting himself up to be the next king. That's not why he's rebuilding the wall. He's already told Artaxerxes. He already has his permission. This is just a bold-faced lie. It is a low-down, dirty trick to tarnish his reputation. You know, as a matter of fact, it is a very, very mean thing to do. We call it defamation. And defamation is simply a false accusation against someone to damage their reputation. Tabloids do this all the time. And they get sued for it. Libel is defamation in writing. Slander is defamation in speech. Now, maybe something similar to this has happened to one of us here. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of a made up story to discredit you in some way. I hope you haven't, but maybe you have. I want you to hear something Jesus says. And again, this is from Matthew chapter 5. He says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He could have stuck Nehemiah's name in there. Persecutions, insults, slander, liable. These are things we just as soon not deal with. We, we wouldn't. But, but when someone truly is serious about serving the Lord, they better get prepared to face opposition in some form of low-down, dirty tricks and lies because it's going to happen. And it's so interesting that Jesus will say that those who experience this type of mistreatment and abuse for the sake of righteousness, he says they're blessed. They don't feel very blessed, but they are. Because in the long run, God is going to sort it all out. Well, again, Nehemiah knows, and he says this. Hey, these guys, verse 9, they're trying to frighten us. He's well aware of what's going on. They're they're trying to frighten us so that the people lose heart in, in doing this good work of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah understands discouragement really can affect the way we live what we do, and how we persevere in our tasks. Get someone discouraged, you're probably going to get them off task. You know, I've told this story before, as probably, I don't know, thousands of preachers have, but it's a good one, and it is a story. It's a legend. And the legend goes like this, that the devil once advertised his tools. said, I'm going out of business, and I'm selling all my tools. And so when the prospective buyers assembled, there was this one wedge-shaped tool that said not for sale. All the other ones were for sale. And asked to explain why this was, the devil answered, I can spare all my other tools but this one. It's the most useful implement I have. It's called discouragement. And with it, I can work my way into hearts otherwise inaccessible. When I get this tool into a person's heart, the way is open to plant anything there I may desire. And that's why I say get anyone to give into discouragement and and watch watch their faithfulness to God's work kind of dissipate. Well, you can see here Nehemiah doesn't just send a message back to Sanballat where he says, "You're you're making these things up, verse 8. He also sends a message to the Lord. And if you go down, you can see this. He says, now, O God, strengthen my hands. So he prays. And we've seen this all throughout the book of Nehemiah, what a godly leader is. And every time something happens, he turns to the Lord and asks for help. Strengthen my hands. Give Give me the strength to stay the course, keep up the good work, all along, we, we've seen this leader be a, and I'll call him a, take it to the Lord in prayer kind of man. And by the way, I like that hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus. And in particular, I always think about one of the lines from that song. And it goes like this. It goes, Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. That's a great, great line. Uh, I wish the writer would have said, uh, when we feel a bit discouraged, take it to the Lord in prayer. But he didn't. You know, we should never be discouraged. You know, the unfortunate thing is you get pounded on enough by those who know how to hurt you. And I guarantee you're going to grow weary and feel just like Job did. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. That's a great prayer. Well, there's a final attempt to stop the work. We, we read it a little bit already. Let's go to the next slide. This is, this is kind of that third and final attempt. One more low-down dirty trick. And they try baiting Nehemiah with some scare tactics. Nehemiah writes, When I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delia and Mehetabel, who was confined at home, he said, let's meet together in the house of God within the temple, within the actual temple building, and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you and they're coming to kill you at night. But I said, should a man like me flee and could one such as I go into the temple to save his life, I will not go in. Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, but he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly in sin so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. Remember, oh my God, Tobiah and Sanballat, according to these works of theirs. And also to Nodiah the prophetess, and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. So there's the third thing. You know, uh, these bad guys are trying to set him up and, and make him look like a coward. And, and then once they make him look like a coward, if they had a video camera, they'd turn it on him. You know, and, and show, hey, look, he's running to the temple and he's hiding in the temple. And then they'd, they'd post it on Facebook and YouTube. That's what these guys are up to. The plot is very simple, get this insider, Shemaiah, get him to tell Nehemiah that the bad guys are coming to kill him at night and he needs to hide in the temple. Now this name, Shemaiah, it's a very, very common name in the latter part of the Old Testament and in the book of Nehemiah. And and again, if you were to look this up in a concordance study, You know, there's a Shemaiah who's working on uh, on the wall, and and there's a Shemaiah who's a priest, and and there's one who's a Levite, and and there's this guy. Um, And and Nehemiah pinpoints this guy's heritage because he wants us to know this isn't one of the good Shemaiahs. Now again, we probably know all sorts of people with the same name, but sometimes we identify them with their last initial you know, I can remember we had a bunch of Michaels at Cedar Valley Christian School when I was a principal, so it was Mike D and it was Mike P and it was Mike S. There was another Mike P, and so that one was tougher. But but you get, you know, this name. Joel isn't a very common name, at least when I was growing up. It is now. There's there's Joel Andrew, Joel Rodriguez, Joel D'Souza. But it wasn't a common name when I was growing up. And I remember my sister Mary telling me that. One time she asked the hostess of a picnic if she could invite Joel to come eat at the picnic. And the hostess said, You know, he's, uh, he budges into conversations and then he dominates them. He tends to be a bit obnoxious. Mary looked at her and said, I've never heard anyone say that about my brother Joel. And the hostess said, Your brother. Oh, I was talking about it, and she named another Joel. <laughs> but it's like, Nehemiah knows there are some really good Shemaiahs out there, so I'm going to tell you who this guy is. He's the son of Delia, son of Mahadabal. And by the way, if you were to look up these names in the Bible, and again, here's the conclusion I've drawn. Delia is a name that's going to occur in chapter 7 of a family of priests, And this family of priests could not prove their Jewish heritage. And so they weren't allowed to go into the temple. They weren't allowed to minister. Hey, I don't remember Hitachi being part of... (laughs) Son of Hitachi. (laughs) Mahedabel, the only other place this name occurs in Scripture, is in the heritage of the Edomites. Now, that's the descendants of Esau. And so there's something very, very sketch about this guy and I think Nehemiah is bringing it out. And when it says he's confined to his house, I don't think it's because he's sick. I think what it means is he's claimed to be a priest and he's, he can't go in the temple to minister because he can't prove that he's a descendant of the priests or the Levites of Israel. So he's trapped in his house. Now, Nehemiah says a couple of things. The first thing he says, should a man like me flee? And right away, you catch the idea that Nehemiah will not do what this guy is saying. He won't run. And, uh, you know, sometime this week, if you have time, and please make time, read through Psalm 11. It's very, very short. Because David's counselor, King David's counselors are going to tell him basically to do the same thing. Um, and, uh, and David reminds his counselors who were telling him to to cut and run, that no matter what happens to him, the Lord is still on his throne in heaven. And that he loves righteousness. And that one day the upright are going to behold his face. And that's why David won't cut and run. And I think that's probably the same reason Nehemiah won't run as well. You know, he's just the epitome of Proverbs 28.1, the righteous are as bold as a lion. And that's the first part of his answer. But he gives a second part, doesn't he? He says, And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Now, there's a different angle here. And the different angle is Nehemiah knows what God's word says about who may and who may not enter certain parts of the temple. Now, the temple is basically uh, a building patterned after the tabernacle in the wilderness. But if you were to go back to Numbers 18, and you're welcome to do that, only the priests and the Levites were really allowed in the tent of meeting portion of the tabernacle. In other words, And when this gets transferred over to the temple building, only the priests and Levites really can get into what we might call the holy place and then the holy of holies. Nehemiah knows, I'm not a Levite. I'm not a priest. I can't go in there. That would be sinning. And so he says, and if you look up here, verse 12, then I perceived this guy who should know better, is giving me the wrong information about what I may or may not do in the temple. And he knows this is a scam. You know, this second statement that Nehemiah makes really is a very clear example of how to discern false prophets, false teaching, bad doctrine, and steering clear of low-down, dirty tricks and lies. Nehemiah knows God's word. And so likewise, you know, we're to read and study and learn and treasure and follow what God's Word says. Right now out there, and it was published several years ago, there's a book entitled 21 Dirty Tricks at Work, How to Beat the Game of Office Politics. Now again, that title is good enough where I want to pick it up and see what it has to say. 21 Dirty Tricks at Work, How to Beat the Game of Office Politics. But the reality is we don't need to pick up books like that to understand how to fight off dirty tricks. God has given us a book. It's the Old Testament and New Testament scriptures. And that's why the psalmist encourages us to read it and says this, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And that's what Nehemiah has done here. He knows God's word well enough where he knows hey, even if I were to run, it would not be into that temple. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up. You know, there's going to be people like Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem who will try at times to sidetrack us. Uh, And they'll do it with lies and low down dirty tricks. Trying to keep us really from the tasks that God has given us. They're, They're going to try to frighten. They're going to try to discourage. Defame, get us to do what everybody knows is wrong. You know, these low-down dirty tricks and lies of Nehemiah's adversaries are reflective and indicative of the schemes of the one who Jesus calls the father of lies. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem are following in the footsteps of the one who has ensnared them. The devil, he is always a destroyer, he is not a builder. And the forte of the devil is to tell very, very clever lies to get people to do his will, not God's. And for unbelievers, this means he uses scads of dirty tricks to get people to doubt or deny God's existence or ignore his offer of salvation Or redefine what sin is or righteousness is. For believers, the devil's spiritual dirty tricks and lies come in very, very subtle ways that cause us to overlook God's holiness. Undervalue the grace that we've received from him in Christ Jesus. And when that happens... Our humility begins to wane, and our arrogance begins to wax. And I hope you understand what I'm talking about. So that instead of becoming mature in faith, what happens is we begin to revert to childish ways, really wanting to be served rather than to serve wanting our own way. Paying attention to what brings us pleasure over what really brings us purpose in this life walking in the good works of God. Now I talk about unbelievers and I talk about believers and obviously I've drawn a line in the sand. I hope that all of us here today have come to the place where we've trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's the only righteousness we'll ever have before God. I asked a question at the beginning. Let's go to the final slide. Oh, it's up there already. How do we navigate our ways through a world filled with low-down, dirty tricks and lies? Well, the answer is by being steadfast in the work of the Lord, treasuring his word in our hearts, asking him for strength when we feel helpless. You know, I'm guessing all of us have been on the receiving end one time or another of various forms of these lies and low-down, dirty tricks. They're nothing new, but they seem to be occurring more and more with our increasing dependence on and and our attraction to social media. So I want to say this. Beware. Beware of being more devoted to your favorite news source than you are to walking in the good works God has prepared for you in Christ. Beware. Watch out. Watch out if you're more enamored with places like Facebook and YouTube than with what's written in God's word itself, watch out. And mind how you go. If you're spending more time texting with others than talking to God, mind how you go. Okay, next Sunday. We're going to wrap up chapter 6. We're going to finish reading about how this broken down wall was finally finished. Finished in 52 days. And we're going to see who Nehemiah gives the credit to. Let's pray together. We're going to sing a final hymn and then Kelly's going to come up and share a little bit with us. Father, as I read through a passage like this, I would ask that we would be very, very much like your servant Nehemiah and we'd be able to discern and perceive things when people are trying to stop us doing the good works that you've prepared for us in Christ. Father, I would ask that you would make us people of your word, that we really would be prayers dependent upon you. Father, I'd ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.